Okay. Just wanted to make sure we were we we're getting coffee. That's all. I don't want you to fall asleep. You've all been working all day. So. All right. Let's go ahead and uh, let's uh, let's get this thing kicked off. Brother Bowman, why don't you pray for us tonight, brother? Thank you. Father, we ask that you just meet with us here tonight. Amen. Amen. I do hate to break it to you. Pastor just left here like probably 30 minutes ago. And so he won't be back tonight. So you'll have to endure with me. We'll probably go for about an hour and a half or so and open it up for some questions. You're like, that's it. I'm leaving. Hey, I don't blame you. I don't blame you. I don't, I don't, know, if I, I don't know if I would take time to listen to me either. So um, yeah, maybe, maybe you should do that again. Run it. He would have prayed differently if he knew. All right. Well, let's go ahead and get started here. I don't want to beat a dead horse uh, with this, uh, this topic of being a servant, um, but I know that we just uh, went through that on, on Sunday night, but uh, let's pick it up in verse number 8. Howbeit then, when ye knew not God, ye did service unto them which uh, by nature are no gods. Now, this whole principle that we've been talking about of how you were a servant unto sin, and then you were liberated by the Lord Jesus Christ, and then the Bible tells you that you should then become a servant of the Lord because that's a higher calling. And so uh, the servant is the Lord's freeman. We, we learn about that in Romans. Um, and so the reason that that's so important is because what you realize is the, is the, re, the reality of, of servanthood is that no matter what you choose to do, you're going to serve something. That's, that's what he's trying to get across. No matter, what, no matter what you choose to do, you are going to be a servant of someone or something. All right? He says here that when you were, uh, before you knew God, that you did service unto them. If you talk to the average lost person, you know, or atheist or somebody like that, you say, oh, well, who do you worship? And like, I don't worship anybody. What are you talking about? I don't go to church. I don't believe in God. You know, I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't read the Bible. I'm not worshiping anybody. You know what the truth of the matter is? They're worshiping something. They're serving something, right? Take your Bibles and go to Romans chapter 6. There's a very important, con- uh, very important concept you need to understand about, uh, about you is that you are a created being, and you were created with a natural void in you uh, to serve something. You think, you think about uh, the lost world today. You know what everybody talks about? Well, I want to do something that fulfilled, I, I feel fulfilled, right? I, I want to do something that has, a, has meaning. You know, I want to do something that makes an impact in my community. Why do you feel that way? You mean that you got a void where you want to contribute? You have a void where you feel like you need to be of service to somebody? Uh, that you need to make an impact in your community? You need to, you know, make, a, make your mark on the world? Uh, why, do you have, why do you have an innate need to serve or to provide uh, something to some group of people that's of value? It's in you. And so uh, even if you choose not to believe in God or read the Bible or go to church or anything like that, you're serving something, okay? Romans chapter number 6, look with me, if you will, verse, start in verse uh, 14. Uh, excuse me, start in verse... 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Look in verse 13, neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. So he's saying that you're yielding your members. Okay, look in verse 16, know ye not? That to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey. So what does servanthood mean? That means that I yield myself, my body, my being, I yield it to something. I allow myself to be used 
in some way. Uh, it says, Yield yourself servants to obey. His servants ye are unto whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Okay, look in verse 18. Then being made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. He says, I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members, servants to uncleanness and to iniquity, unto iniquity, even so now yield your members, servants unto righteousness, unto holiness. For when, uh, when ye were the servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. You see that? That was before you were saved. The Bible uses this, this phrase, you are free from righteousness. You couldn't do right if you wanted to. It evaded you. You were just yielding your members to whatever it is your flesh wanted to do. You were a servant. You were a servant of sin. You were a servant of this world. It's whoever you yield yourself members to. Now, service to the Lord... Uh, has been illustrated by many preachers and many teachers uh, to be simply this. It's just as if you were a glove in a, in a, in a shop. Now, if, I don't know, uh, I know some of you in here are mechanically inclined and, and uh, you work with your hands and that kind of thing. And uh, I know this, I've worked with my hands for a long time. And when things are hard on your hands, you know what you do? You put a glove on. <laughs> Right, you put gloves on. It's like uh, the illustration is, is you know, you're a mechanic doing an oil change or something like that. You ever been to like one of these valvoline places or something like that, where they, you know, they have the guy in the pit underneath, and every now and again he comes up for air, and you see he's got this big mask on. <laughs> he's got these uh, these gloves that go up to his armpits, you know, and he's walking around like this. And he looks like a monster, and he's just covered in oil, right? Well, here's the thing, you know what the Lord wants. He wants to use your body. He wants, he, wants, he wants to be able to put His hand in you like a glove and move you around, and as He moves, you move. Yield your members, your physical body, right? Your soul is, 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 uh, is, is set in heaven and it's, it's eternally secure, right? But the one thing that uh, the, the Holy Spirit has taken up residency inside of your body, you should yield yourself control to the Holy Spirit. What? Your physical members. What you do in the flesh should be in service to the Lord Jesus Christ. Just because that's what, service, that's what being a servant is. I yield my members to you. Okay, back in, our, uh, back in our text here, verse 8. Howbeit then, when ye knew not God, ye did service unto them which by, uh, which by nature are no gods. Now, it's important, especially as you come out of the world, you get saved, and the Lord, you know, He starts dealing with you about things and says, uh, you know, what about this and what about this? And, and undoubtedly, what happens is, is the Holy Spirit gets inside of you, He starts talking, He starts moving, He starts you know, uh, uh, convicting you of things and, and you know, the, 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 the pruning process, you know, starts to take, take root. And it's, and it's funny because, I don't know about you, I remember when I first, you know, got into this thing and started, you know, trying to live a Christian life, it, there was a certain times I'd be like, man, Lord, why are you on my back about this? <laughs> you know, I had a, I had a nasty habit of, uh, and I still have a pretty nasty habit about, I'm a kleptomaniac, I guess. <laughs> you know, I told Brother Jerry, I think some of y'all heard, heard me over in church the other day. He let me borrow a pick. We were playing. And uh, I said, I have to confess, man, I stole that pick. And I said, if you, if you give me a pick, I'm going to just stick that thing in my pocket. And who knows what happens to it after that? I have no idea. And so I just need to, you know, get a budget and, and replace people's picks. But... Um, I, I, when, we, when I graduated uh, Bible college, we had this, you know, fun banquet, you know, at the end of, at the end of it. And, you know, we made this, this thing where we had an awards ceremony. And, you know, we just made these funny awards that matched people's personalities and that kind of thing. And I got my award, and it was the, hey, can I borrow a pen award? Because <laughs> I never had a pen on me. I just, and I'd steal your pen. I mean, <laughs> you'd give me a pen, and I'd just walk out of class, put it in my pocket. I wouldn't think anything of it. And uh, I remember I was coming home one night, and the Lord says, what's in your pocket? And I'm like, oh, it's, a, it's this guy's pen, you know. 
He's like, and I, and I, and I remember, I'm like, Lord, really? <laughs> like, are you getting on me about this pen? And I remember I had to take that pen back to that brother, and I was like, listen, man, I stole your pen. I'm sorry. The Lord just would not let me up off the mat on this thing, you know? But what happens is the Holy Spirit starts to, you know, tell you things. It starts to, you know, weed some things out. And uh, it's important that you, there's a concept that you need to learn about, especially as you start to yield yourself to the Holy Spirit. And He starts to change things. It starts to do things. Take your Bibles. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. A lot of people, they, they set themselves up for frustration and failure because they don't get this out. So what happens is, is they say, you know, I want to I serve the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I'm going to yield myself, you know, a servant to Him. And the Lord says, well, take this out and take this out and take this out and do this, right? Well, there's something that you need to be privy to. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter number 1, verse number 9. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Now, notice what he says back here in our, our verse. He says, which were by nature, by nature are no gods. Okay, they're by nature, they're no gods. They're idols. Okay, so they're not a god. We'll, we'll get into that here in a little bit uh, when we talk about idols and, and, and different things like that. Um, but he says that you need to turn to God from those things that are not gods. So what does that mean? When I start to take things out of my life as I submit myself underneath God's hand and the Holy Spirit, I need to make sure that when I take those things out, that I don't leave the void there. i got to replace it with something else. They didn't just take all the idols out and then leave nothing there. Because then there's this void. And it's this, this destructive void of, you know, what do I put into place? Right? So it's like before I was saved, you know, it's like, oh, well, I used to, you know, I used to listen to, you know, I used to listen to rock music. I used to listen to the country music. I used to listen to all this, this junk, you know. Then I got saved. The Lord started, hey, what about that music, man? That doesn't edify you for me. That doesn't do nothing for you. So you turn the radio off. You don't listen to nothing. And all of a sudden, your, your thoughts start going haywire, you know? And you're like, man, what is this? There's just this void, right? And then before you know it, you're in the grocery store, and one of them old songs come on, and you're, oh, yeah, you know? And then before you know it, you know what happens? You swept it out, you made it clean, and then all of a sudden, seven devils are more wicked than the other one, they come in. So what, what do you do? You take, the, you take the music, and you say, well, that's not right. So I'm turning away from those things that are, not, that are no gods. But the Bible tells you in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9, that they turn to God from idols. So what do I do? Well, that's some good godly music. Why don't you start listening to that? Why don't you, why don't you take that void, maybe, maybe listen to some preaching? You can't just leave, you just can't leave a gaping hole. You've got to fill it back with the right thing. Right? Well, you know, how do, how do you spend your time? You know, what, it, what, is it, what is it that the Lord says, you know, we don't, we, don't need to, we don't need to go there anymore. It's like, you know what, maybe you started, you got saved and you started going to church on, on you know, Sunday, Sunday mornings and, you know, Sunday nights. It was like, yeah, well... That's, we used to, you know, go out to dinner. We used to do this, that, and the other. And the Lord says, man, church is going on. Well, if you just stop going to dinner and just stay at home, well, that wouldn't help you much. Why don't you take that thing? Oh, I used to do this. Well, now I'm going to replace that. I'm going to go to church. Well, Wednesday night, man, I usually get home too late, and, it's, and it's, it's really rough to get everybody together and come to Wednesday night and everything else. And, well... Lord puts it under conviction. Well, whatever it is you're doing on Wednesday night, you got to replace that thing with the right thing. And so what happens is, is sometimes you know we we start plucking all this stuff out of our lives, and then we not we're not careful to replace that with the right things, and it can cause it can cause some issues, and it can give you a lot of frustration, and it can uh, really get you discouraged. And then Christian, well, I just can't do anything. Well, that's not, the, that's not the right attitude to have. The fact of the matter is, is there's plenty to do. 
and there's there's plenty of things that the world they just they just uh, they mimic the real thing. And what you realize is, oh, well, the Lord told me to not hang out with this person or stop stop doing this or stop talking about this. You know, I used to I used to you know. I used to have these really edgy conversations and, you know, talk, they're talking in the break room and, you know, they'd be talking about certain things and I would partake in the conversation and, right? You know what I'm talking about? I'm not just talking into this echo chamber here, here right now. Maybe, you know, you all are just saints in here and you've never done that, you know? But instead of just dropping off the face of the planet, I'm not talking to them anymore. Well, why don't you say, you know what, guys, I don't talk about that. You know, I go to church and... You know, Jesus Christ, you know, he, uh, he saved me, and I, 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 I've been going to church now. You all ever go to church? What did I do? Well, I stopped the one thing that's not profitable. I replaced it with the right thing. So you got to balance that stuff. Okay, howbeit when you knew not God, you did service unto them, which by nature are no gods. You say, well, if I start doing that, people think I'm crazy. Well, you didn't care about people thinking you were crazy when you were a servant to the stuff that wasn't a god, were you? You ever, you ever look back at some of your old pictures of how you dressed when you were in high school? Tell me you cared how, really how much people thought about what you looked like. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's funny. Everybody talks about today, they're like, why, why, why do you got a mohawk and you got, you know, piercings? So I don't care what people think. What? Yeah, you do. That's why you're doing that, <laughs> right? And then you get saved and like, well, I don't want people to make fun of me. Well, you didn't care about people making fun of you when you had a mohawk and a bone through your nose. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's funny how it's acceptable to be unique and, 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 and out there when you're you know, serving, the, serving those things that aren't God. But then when it comes to serving God, we're all very conservative. <laughs> well, let's not go too far. I really care about what people think. Well, you didn't when you were doing the other stuff, did you? Bless God, I'm going to go here. Ain't nobody going to tell me what to do. Yeah. And then you get saved and you're like, well, I wouldn't want people to think a certain way, you know, so why not? <laughs> yeah, you got to replace it with the right thing and then let the chips fall where they may. Okay, verse number nine. But now, after that ye have known God or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage? Well, a couple things to unpack here in this verse, verse number 9. But now, after ye have known God, wasn't it a blessing when you got to know God? You got the introduction and you were like, oh man, you got to you know, meet the greatest thing ever. <laughs> you ever been introduced to some you know, big wig or something like that? I've been introduced to some big wigs, you know, and work, and you do work for people, and they got, you know, money like water, and it doesn't matter, <laughs> and they got all of these, you know, accolades and success and all this different stuff, and uh, they, people get, they get nervous to have those meetings, and they go, well, this is some great person, and they get nervous, and they're like, they don't know what to say, they stumble with their words, you know, they get introduced to somebody like that. Can you imagine, you got introduced to the God of the universe? You're like, man, ain't nobody on the face of this planet greater than him. Isn't that funny? That it's like, oh, it's like, I know that guy. <laughs> you know? But there's something greater in the verse. He says, he says, it's one thing for you to say you know him. But it's a totally different thing when he knows you. Right? It's a totally different thing when that person knows you. Uh, give you an example. If you were to, uh, you know, there'd be some famous guy. You know, everybody thinks that they, you know, they say that uh, these influencers and folks and movie stars and that kind of thing. They, uh, you know, like remember, like uh, they had these sitcoms back in the '90s. You know, and and they had an actor, and they and they play these sitcoms, and they say that what happens is, is there was a there was a, a check and balance here, or there was a pro and con of being an actor in a sitcom. You know, because what happens is, is you're in somebody's home every Friday night at six, you know, and, and you're playing this role, and that's how you're forever known in your acting career is for that 
role you played in that sitcom because you became so personalized to the people at home, their audience, and they felt like they knew you, but they only knew you as that character, right? And so what happens is, is these actors and stuff, they'll go out in public and they'll say, hey, you're so-and-so. And he's like, no, that's the character's name. That's really not my name. <laughs> you know, the character's name's Chuck. My name's Brian, okay? That's not, that's not me. But they, they, they feel like they know you. You know, could you imagine going into, a, you know, a restaurant and you see this famous movie star? And maybe it's, you know, maybe you, got, you don't care about movie stars. I don't really care about movie stars. I'm trying to give a, a silly illustration to, to illustrate a point here. But it could, you, uh, put it in your favorite author. I don't know. <laughs> Some of you are bookworms. That's, that's fine. But I'm just giving an illustration. You see, oh, this guy, and, and somebody walks in and they, and they say, oh, I know that guy. Isn't it most embarrassing when that guy's like, they're trying to remember your name. You ever, been, you, ever, you ever been like that? You go to somebody, you know, and you're like, you're like, oh, hey, brother, how's it going? And they're just like, hey, you. <laughs> brother, that's, we get away with it because we can say brother or sis, you know what I'm saying? You're like, brother, it's good to see you. In the back of your mind, you're like, God, what's his name? God, who is this person? He acts like he knows me, but I do not know him, <laughs> right? And... Uh, you ever, you know, be in that situation and, and you overcommit and you're like, man, brother, you give him a hug? <laughs> like, ah, oh, we go way back and this person's like, who are you again? And you're like, that's kind of embarrassing. <laughs> you know, that's going to, that, that's, it's one thing to be, to know somebody, but to have that somebody know you. If you were to walk into that restaurant and that movie star says, hey, man, look at you over there. Out of all the people sitting in there, this famous person looks at you and says, Hey, I know that guy. You're like, kind of feeling a little bit like, Yeah, he knows me. I know him. Go way back. Went to high school together. You know, we go way back. We're besties, you know. You walk in and that, and that person that everybody's looking up to, you know, and there's all these people thronging around them, and that person goes and picks you out of the crowd and says, Hey, you, you come here. You know, they... Uh, that's, that's, that's really where it's at. Take your Bibles and go to Matthew, Matthew chapter 7. There's a lot of people going to be real disappointed someday. Because, man, they think that they know God. And if you ask them, they say, oh, yeah, I know God. Are you saved? Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm saved. What happened? Well, the car rolled over four times, you know, and I remember as the car was rolling over the fourth time, I saw a light, and, and, uh, and uh, you know, my, my uncle third removed came down from heaven and told me it wasn't my time, and, and uh, you know, that's the day I got saved. And you're like, really? And you're like, well, that's really not what salvation is. Well, you can't tell me because that's an experience that I had. You see that? Oh, I know God. Are you sure you know God? Look at here in uh, Matthew chapter number 7. I know where I'm at doctrinally. Okay? Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. So we automatically know where we're talking about. Okay? Kingdom of heaven. That's physical, literal kingdom. Okay? That puts us millennium. Okay? But he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven, many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Man, can you imagine the day when some of these guys have been preaching this, this false gospel and been leading people astray, and one of these days they're going to stand at the great white throne judgment and they're going to say, Man, Lord, I, I've been telling people about... Can you imagine every pope and the generations that, that they've been in power? You know, one of these days they're going, to stand, they're going to stand there and all these people that they led to hell, all these people that they've been lying to, you know what's going to happen? All the throngs of people that are sitting there, they're going to watch that guy stand before God and he's going to say, just look at all these people you brought with you. You talked about me a lot, but you never knew me. Depart from me. And those spiritual leaders are cast into the lake of fire forever. Can you imagine that? You know what? There's a problem uh, when uh, the lost world tries to get religious. And they lead a lot of people astray. 
you know what? They say they know God. God says, I don't know you. That's the problem. Just because somebody says they know somebody, the test of whether or not they know somebody is when that person shows up, do they know them? You ever, you ever hear somebody that talks all, all the time about who they know? Oh, yeah, I know the guy that works over there, and I know the guy that owns this, and I know the guy that does that. I, you know, I met the guy that did this over here, you know. You know, they, they talk that way when no one's around. Nobody can check their work. You know, then you run into them at the grocery store, and they just walk by you like you're a ghost. You're like, oh, well, you mean you saw them on the TV or what? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Well, you made it sound like you were best friends, but you weren't. It's one thing to know somebody. It's another thing for them to know you. And the same thing rules with God. Take your Bibles go to Acts. Book of Acts, chapter number 8. Here's a guy in the book of Acts, chapter number 8. His name's Simon. You know, he, he sees some things. Look in verse number 9. But there was a certain man called Simon, which before time, uh, the same, uh, in the same city, used sorcery to bewitch the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one. Look at me how great I am. Look at what I can do. Look what I can do. Look what I can do. Great ability to speak. Great ability to preach. Didn't really have much to say. But he had some, he had some sorcery. He had some bells and whistles that got people to think he was something great. To whom they all gave heed. He had built a crowd. From the least to the greatest. It wasn't just, <coughs> it wasn't just the peasants or the uneducated people. It was the... It was the pronounced people. It was the, it was the folks that had great reputation, the, the least to the greatest. They all listened to him, saying, This man is the great power of God. He has power with God. I get nervous when people talk about that. I had a guy one time, you know, gave me a pen. It said, The man of God. I was like, nah, I don't want that pen. <laughs> I don't want that stinking pen. You take that pen, you be the man of God. <laughs> right? Jim Lentz tells a story. Uh, Dr. Lentz tells a story. He says he was, he was going up, and some old preacher came up to him and put his arm around him, you know. And he says, you follow me, boy, and I'll make you a man of God. And he says, I don't want to be a man of God. He says, I want to be God's man. There's two different things. A lot of people, they chase, the, they chase that. He has great power with God. Why? Because of how he speaks? You ever listen to Hitler speak? You want to talk about captivating. You want to talk about a true believer. You want to talk about somebody that, that could really rally up, boy. Was, did he have power with God? I'll let you make that judgment call. <laughs> To whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. And to him they had regard, because that of a long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. But when they believed Philip preaching these things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized both men and women. And Simon himself believed also. When he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, and wondered beholding the miracles and signs which were done. It's funny how those that pretend when they get around those that really can do it and they really do have the touch of God, they scratch their heads and they go, how in the world are you doing that? That happens in churches. Yeah, you go to a church, you just take our church for instance. Say, we got, we got visitors almost every Sunday. We got, we got young people and older people and middle-aged people, all these different kinds of people, and they say, oh, yeah, well, uh, what young adults class do you have? Oh, well, we don't have one. Oh, uh, yeah, uh, what are your routine, uh, what are you, you know, do you guys meet weekly with the youth group? No, no, we don't. 
you must run buses because look at all the little ones you have here on patch on Wednesday night. And look at all the little ones in your Sunday school classes. Surely you run buses. Nope, don't do that either. And they sit back and they go, how in the, what in the world is going on here? Oh, you mean you've, been, you've implemented every ministry and every outreach and every program and every this, that, and the other that you can do to try to market your church and it's not working? Or let's say you've done all that stuff and you've marketed your church and you've got a bunch of people there and then you come and you listen to the singing and you feel the spirit here and you go, man, I wish our church had that spirit. I wish our church, the folks sang like they sang and they listened to preaching the way they do and they... And there is a spirit there. And they say, man, I don't feel that spirit where I'm at. Bunch of people, though. You see that? And they, and they look back and they look at Philip and they go, how are you doing that? Oh, you mean, you mean the power of God wasn't what you thought it was? It didn't come the way you thought it did. Okay? Uh, read on. Simon himself believed also and was baptized and continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. Now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they said unto them, Peter and John, who when they were come down, prayed for them, that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet the fallen, uh, he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Ghost, Simon saw that through laying on of, uh, the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given. He offered them money saying, Give me also this power, that on whomsoever I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. But Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. You see that? You know what this Simon guy, he's like, Oh, I know God. I know how it's done. And then he sees it really done, and he goes, Oh, well, I just got to fabricate that, and then... Okay, how do I, I'll pay you for it. And you can't buy God like that. You can't buy the power of God. You know what, and those, uh, uh, Peter and them preaching, you know, and you know what they, you know what they're get, they get done preaching, the Bible says one time, it says, and the men that listened to him preach, they said, and they perceived that they had been with God, that they had been with Jesus. They, 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 were, they just picked up on it. By the way they spoke, they're like, that guy has been with Jesus. There's a different spirit. There's a different power. There's a different unction. Okay? And so, uh, it's, it's one thing to say that you know God, but it's another thing for Him to know you and to bear witness when you speak and, uh, and anoint your, uh, your efforts with His, with his power. It's a whole other thing. You live in a world today where everybody thinks they got a corner of the market uh, with some kind of spirituality or some kind of you know insight because they googled something. They think they know it, and you got Christians running to lost people to get insight on the Bible. Unbelievable. You you mean to tell me you can come to the Bible with some intellectual uh, gobbledygook and and fool Christians? Yeah, because you don't want to know why Christians. They, they don't even, they don't, they, a lot of them have never even seen the hand of God. They may be saved. Simon, the Bible says that he believed. And the criticism of Simon wasn't that he was necessarily unsaved. Uh, Peter said, you're in the gall of bitterness. You're bitter. Because you thought that you, that you had all this power and you had all this prestige and you had this big reputation and you had all this stuff going for you. And then some country bumpkins came with the hand of God on them and put you out of business. And you're bitter about it. And so now you're going to go around and try to buy the power of God as if you can buy it. You can't buy it. There's a guy, old Carl Lackey, out in the mountains of North Carolina. Here's some... Some guys that were looking to talk to Carl Lackey because they thought that if they could just talk to Carl Lackey that they'd get the power of God on him. And so they went to Carl Lackey's house and they bang on his door and Miss Lackey came to the door. He said, go away! <laughs> and they kept knocking. He said, what do you want? We want to speak to Carl T. Lackey. She said, he doesn't want to talk to you. And she slams the door in their face. And, of course, in their persistence as young men and their zeal and their desire to have the power of God, they, they knock again. She comes in. She said, go away. What do you want? We want to talk to Carl T. He doesn't want to talk to you. 
she slams the door. And they, she comes out and she says, you know what the problem with you is? She says, you think that you get the power of God if you talk to Carl T. She says, you won't know the power of God until you get the strut out of your step and you put some calluses on your knees. You say, what is that? You know, you can't get, there ain't no body that can give you the power of God. There ain't no Bible school that'll give you the power of God. There ain't no preacher that can give you the power of God. There ain't nothing give you the power of God. God either gives it to you or He doesn't. Period. And I know guys I graduated school with, uh, they go to North Carolina and they found Jim Lynch's grave and they went and laid themselves down on Jim Lynch's grave and said, God, give me the power of Jim Lynch. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, I'm not lying. <laughs> As if Elijah made the decision to give a double portion to Elisha. He didn't. He didn't have the ability to. The mantle floats down. He picks up the mantle and nothing happens. You mean just because you got the old man's mantle doesn't mean that you have the power? No, you don't. It's when he smote the Jordan and he said, where's the Lord God of Elijah? And it wasn't Elijah's power he was searching for. It was the God of Elijah he was searching for. And then when God saw that, he got it. And it was God that gave it to him. No man can give you anything. You can't buy the power of God. You know what? A lot of churches in America, what they've fallen into the trap of is thinking that church is some kind of marketing scheme. And they've brought this worldly philosophy that we talked about the other night. They've brought the worldly philosophy of, of marketing into the church as if that is godly. The law of large numbers. Anybody in here ever been in sales before? If I make X amount of phone calls, I'm going to have this amount of close percentage. I'm going to make this many appointments. And out of this many appointments, I'm going to go to this many. And most of the people are going to slam the door in my face. Most people aren't going to open the door. But there's a percentage of those phone calls that I make that get me a certain amount of appointments. And out of those amount of appointments, I'll maybe close one or two clients. And so they know, because the law of averages and the law of large numbers, that you can make X amount of dollars if you put this amount of work in. That's corporate marketing. That's sales funnels. You know, that, you know that if you make a certain amount of phone calls, you can sell BMWs over the phone? Do you know that? Now, some of you in here, if somebody called you and said, hey, you want to buy a BMW over the phone, you'd be like, shut your mouth, and you'd slam the phone down, right? Most logical people wouldn't do that. But you know what? There's a certain amount of phone calls that if you make them, you'll sell one. You'll sell one. You say, how do these people fall for these, these scams, these you know, telemarketer scams? You want to know why? They know that there's a percentage that will give them money if they make the right amount of phone calls. And so the church has adopted it. If we can just get in front of this many people, if we can just spread this much stuff, we can just do this much stuff, we'll get this many people in, and we can do this, and we can do this. Where's God in that exactly? Right? Where is he? Oh, you thought you could, you thought that you could manufacture, you thought that you could purchase the power of God. You're no different than Simon. You're no different than Simon. I know guys that have put billboards out and advertised their church on a radio, advertised their church this way, that way, and they had good motives in doing it. And you know what? Not one person came to their church. And they stuck it out for 15, 20 years. And you know what? They stopped doing all that. They stopped trying to, they stopped, they stopped trying to you know, impress the brethren by the amount of ministries that they had and the amount of doors they knocked on and the amount of you know, this, that, and other that they did to try to outreach and outreach and outreach and outreach and outreach. And you know what happened? The Lord started bringing people into their church. That's how it's done. The Bible says that... that uh, that he will build his church. Not you. And not me. You know what our responsibility is? 
to do what God tells us to do when God tells us to do it with the right heart and be ready to give an answer of the hope that lies within us with meekness and in fear. And if God calls us to do something, to do it. But most people don't want to do it that way. They want it now. Simon, they want it now. It's one thing to say you know God, but then your actions show that you don't know God. I'd rather God know me. Amen? Okay. Uh, verse number 9, let's go a little further. Uh, it says, uh, now known of God, or rather are known of God. It says, he, he's going to pose a two-part question here. How turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements? Now remember the, 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 the subject that he's addressing with the, the Galatians, and that is, is that they've turned their back on sound doctrine in, uh, in the sense of salvation by grace through faith plus nothing, and they've now entertained going back to the working of the law and to circumcision as a mandatory requirement to get saved. And so he's addressing this problem. And so he's saying... That, but now after ye have known God, or rather are known of God, why are you turning back to what he calls the weak and beggarly elements? Now, look at this word weak. Take your Bibles, go to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. He's referring to the weak and beggarly elements. Romans chapter 8, look in verse number 3. Again, this is why words are important. This is how you get cross-references. Verse number 3, For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. The Bible says that the law is weak. Okay, take your Bibles, go to Hebrews chapter number 7. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter number 7. Hebrews chapter number 7, look in verse number 18. For there's verily a disannulling, that's a setting aside, there's a setting aside or a disannulling of the commandment going before the weakness and unprofitableness thereof. Look at what he says, he's clarifying. For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did, by the which we draw nigh to God. He's saying here that, guess what? That thing that was set aside, the law that was set aside, nailing it to His cross, taking it out of the way, the, the ordinances contained in, in, in the law, right? He says those things were weak in that they couldn't bring a better hope. They couldn't bring any profit. There was no, there was no getting past that. So it was weak in the sense that it couldn't deliver salvation full and free. It was always partial, right? The blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sin. And so the, the law was weak in that regard. And so when we, uh, let's, let's go back here, it says, it says uh, why do you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements that are contained in the law? He says, whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage? To be in bondage. You know what? Uh, take your Bibles and go to Hebrews chapter 2. That thing, bondage, let's get a little bit of clarity on that. A little deeper meaning, Scripture with Scripture. Hebrews chapter number 2. What is that bondage he's speaking of? Yeah, it's bondage to the law. Yeah, it's bondage to sin. But what is it really? Let's nail that thing down. Hebrews chapter 2, look in verse number 14. For as much then as the children are partakers of the flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death. That is the devil. Look at verse 15. And deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to what? Bondage. What is bondage? The fear of death. There is nothing, there is nothing more, uh, there, is, there is nothing that will make you feel like you're in bondage more than somebody dangling your eternity above your head. That'll, there's nothing that will make you feel more in bondage than being scared to die. That is a tormenting thing. What happens to me when I die? You want to know what some of the, the, the most cruelest thing in the world is? 
is these religions that play with your eternity. If I say, if you do this and this and this and this, you might go to heaven. You know what they do? They kept you in bondage. Why? Because you're afraid to die, aren't you? You've got no certainty. <clears throat> You've got no knowledge of what's going to happen when you die. You've, listen, you don't know anything. You hope, but you don't know. Well, I've done the best I could, and what if I don't die in a state of grace? And what if I do some, uh, the, what if I do the unpardonable sin? And what if I, you know what they do? They keep you in bondage. So what do they do? They tether your salvation to your works. And so the Bible tells us that those weak and beggarly elements, what is that? That you have to do something to get saved or you have to do something to stay saved. And what is so, what is so uh, constricting? What is the bondage? It makes you fear death. The Bible says you shouldn't fear death. You shouldn't. These things have I written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that you have eternal life. That's confidence. That's not fearful. That's no matter, that's like neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate me from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. That is not, that's, that's not, that's not putting you in bondage. That's taking the shackles off, man. That's saying, hey, there's room to breathe now. It's okay to just live. You see that? I've given the illustration before when I was in the sheriff's department and we were in the, uh, we are in the, the, my first few days, still in training, and, you know, you go into the control room and there's 80 bajillion switches everywhere, just little, you know, switches. And each one of them switches pops a door or slides a door or gives some kind of movement to an individual, an inmate in that, in that block. And I remember we get in there at the beginning of my shift and we were training on first shift and there was a guy there named Dustin. He was... He was my FTO, my field training officer. We got into that thing, and it was me and another young lady got hired at the same time. And uh, he said, listen, this is second floor. This is, this is where the, 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 the more serious inmates are on second floor. Third floor was less stuff and, and, and ladies. And then second floor was, it was a real deal, right? These were guys that were in there for some bad stuff. And, uh, and, and these were guys that couldn't handle more freedom on the other floors. And he says, listen, a lot of these guys are on 24-hour lock, 23-hour lockdown. He says, if, there's, if you hit one wrong button, it could cost somebody their life. Another inmate, another officer, you hit the wrong button and you pop a door when that door is not supposed to be popped, somebody can die. And at that point in time, you're like, I don't want to touch a button in this room. <laughs> right? There's nothing, there's no amount of money you could pay me to want to be switching switches in this room. Right? And then as soon as he did that, he put the fear in all of us. He says, but I want you to know something. There's nothing you can do in this control room that I can't fix. You want to talk about liberating. You want to talk about, he's like, listen, you know what I just did? I gave you the liberty, I gave you the freedom to try. I gave you the freedom to live. And guess what? I'm not, I'm not holding life and death in your hands. You know what I'm doing? I'm giving you the freedom to make some mistakes. I'm giving you the freedom to try. And that's what the Lord does with us. The Lord says, hey, listen, I don't have to, I don't, listen, there's consequences for your actions. Right? But we got your eternity set. And I just want you to know, as you go through this life, you're not Jesus Christ. You're going to make mistakes. But I want you to know there's nothing that you can do in this life that I can't fix. Whoo, man, you want to talk about liberty. You, want to, you, want to talk, you, don't, have to, you don't have to say, well, if you mess up, you're going to go to hell. No. It's like, you know what? We already got your, we already got your eternity set. You know what I want to do? I want to give you the liberty to do right. And if you get fouled up, I can fix it. I can fix it. You want to know why that's so important? Take your Bibles, go back to the verse we just read over there in Hebrews, chapter number 7, I believe. Is that where we were? Hebrews, chapter number 7. Look in verse number 19. For the law made nothing perfect, 
but the bringing in of a, a better hope did. By the which we, look at what he says here, draw nigh to God. So you mean, because I got my eternity set, because I'm no longer in bondage in the fear of death, what opportunity do I have? I, have, I now have the opportunity to draw nigh to God, which before I was not able to do. I was not able to draw nigh to God underneath the bondage of the law. I was walking on a skinny rail, man, to nowhere. But you know what he did? He's widened the path of my feet. And he settled my eternity because he brought in something better. He took the law out of the way. And now I have the ability, I have the liberty to draw nigh to him. I have the choice. I have, I have the opportunity to draw nigh to God. Go to Matthew chapter number 15. I don't know about you, but I like that. <laughs> Matthew chapter number 15. Verse number 1, Then came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees which were of Jerusalem, saying, Why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread, but he answered and said unto them, Why do ye also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? For God commanded, saying, Honor thy father and thy mother, and now curseth after thy uh, father or mother, let him die the death. But ye say, Whosoever shall say to his father or his mother, If, if, uh, uh, if it is a gift, by, what's, by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, and honor not thy father uh, or his mother, he shall be free. Thus have ye made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. Ye hypocrites, well did Isaiah the prophe uh, prophecy of you, saying, These people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. What made them so far from God? All steeped in tradition. All steeped in the law. You know, what they, you know what they just did? They just talked a big game. They just knew what to say. Try to impress everybody. He says, They draw nigh unto me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. You see how the law is weak? And when you turn and when you and when you allow your Christianity to be wrapped up in in the in in, in deeds and acts and the things that you do, that's not the basis of your Christianity. It's not wrapped up in legalism. It's wrapped in liberty. So then the question then becomes, well, how do I draw nigh? Now, now that that bondage is gone, we can then fall into the trap sometimes where if I do this and I do this and I do this and I do this, then that means I'm close to God. Well, your closeness to God is not defined by things you do. Your closeness to God is dictated by your fellowship with Him. So how in the world do I draw an eye to God if it's not by this? He just said the traditions of men and, and doing this and keeping the law. Okay, how in the world do I draw an eye to God? Ephesians chapter number 2, look in verse number 13. Wherefore I desire, excuse me, Ephesians chapter 2, I'm in Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh. By the blood of Jesus Christ. How about that? How do I draw nigh to God? The blood of Jesus Christ. What does he say? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's First uh, John 1, 9. First John 1, 7. If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. 
How do you draw nigh to God? Well, you get saved. What happens? He broadens your path. He takes the, the law away. Now you have the ability to draw nigh to God, Hebrews chapter 7. Okay, I'm now saved. How do I draw nigh to God? Well, i got to do this and i got to do this. Nope, stop right there. That's the law. How do I draw nigh to God after I'm saved? The blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, I messed up today, Lord. Will you forgive me? Man, I, I shouldn't have thought that. God, I shouldn't have done that. Man, Lord, I, I've been struggling with this for years and years. Please wash me in the blood. Forgive me of this, Lord. You know, what's that? Walking in the light of the sea is in the light and having fellowship one with another. How do you, what, are you, what are you doing? You're drawn nigh to God. Go to James chapter 4. James chapter 4. I hope this, is, I hope this helps. <clears throat> James chapter 4. Start in verse 5. Well, let's, let's go to verse 1. We won't read the whole thing, but I just a couple highlights. From whence cometh wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lusts? That war in your members? Ye lust and have not, ye kill, desire to have, cannot obtain. Ye fight in war, yet have not because ye ask not. There's this war of your flesh inside of you. What you want to do versus what God wants you to do. Ye ask, receive not, because ye ask amiss, ye may consume upon your own life. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not the friendship with the world is enmity with God. Whosoever there is a friend of this world is the, en is the enemy of God. What a harsh statement. Well, I want to draw nigh to God. Verse 5. Do you think that the Scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? Whoa, door. We'll fix that. Okay. Verse number six. But he giveth more grace, whereof he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves. How do I draw nigh to God? Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, he'll flee from you. Draw nigh to God, he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. Purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn. Weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning for your joy and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He shall lift you up. You know what? You're, whether or not you're drawn nigh to God, how submitted are you to God? It's, it's keeping a short account with the Lord, keeping the blood of Jesus Christ on the sins that pop up on a regular basis. It's, the stuff that you struggle with and you go, oh, man, I did it again. Man, I did it again. Okay, get it under the blood and move on. Maybe the reason you're struggling with it is because you've not replaced it with something that's more profitable than that. We talked about that in the first couple of verses. Maybe, try to, maybe you got a bad habit. Okay, try to replace it with a better habit. How about you learn what triggers you and then try to work around it? You know what I'm saying? Don't just live flippantly through life and just say, oh, well, I'm just part of my personality. Well, no. You know what's wrong. Try to get it right. But as long as you're fighting that thing, it's going to be grievous to you to keep praying for forgiveness for the same thing. You know what the Bible tells you to do? You want to draw, not, draw, not, uh, draw nigh to God? Get it under the blood. He says, submit yourselves. Resist the devil. Well, how do I resist the devil? You better learn how to discern the devil. You better learn how to discern. Well, how do I learn how to discern? You better get in your book. You better pray. How do I resist the devil? Now listen, there's sometimes it's hard to discern the devil's voice. Is that the devil? Sometimes you Notice the devil when he tempted the Lord. He tempted him in a good thing. He tempted him in something that was actually the will of God, but just the wrong time. He'll do the same thing to you. So, how do you resist the devil? You better learn how to discern the, the voice of God. You better learn how to discern the Spirit of God. How do I draw nigh to God? Well, you've got to develop a relationship with Jesus Christ. How do you develop a relationship with anybody? You submit yourself to Him. How much time do you spend with Him? You love God? How do you know if you love God? How do you know if you love anybody? You, you want to spend time with how do I know if I love somebody? Do I want to spend time with them? How do I know if I love somebody? Do I care about what they think? How do I know if I love somebody? 
Do I want to talk to them? Do I want to spend time with them? Do I go out of my way to do things for them that make them happy? How do I know if I love somebody? You ever done something? Some of you in here have been married. <laughs> you remember the dumb things you used to do when you were in love? I mean, I remember when right as soon as me and Paige got married, I know that if you know our testimony, you know, I knew her for three weeks and then we got engaged and then we got married three months after that. So, you know, you know we, did, we, we spent every waking moment with each other for four months. There wasn't a day that went by I didn't see her. We'd stay up late talking to one another and just wanting to be around each other. You know, it's hard to hang up the phone. <laughs> we got married on January 14th, and a month later, my first, uh, I didn't know that there was monthly anniversaries your first year of marriage, uh, but there are. You get first get married, and then it's our one-month anniversary. It was on Valentine's Day. You know what I did? All the information I had collected in the last five months of being around this woman, I found out she liked red gushers, man. You know what I didn't know? You could buy red gushers. I thought you had to buy the multi-pack and have all the things. I bought 20 packages of gushers, man, and I went through every package of gushers, and I picked out all the red ones, and I put them over here, and I just bank-loaded all the other ones over here so that she could open up this thing, and all it was was red gushers, and she's like, you know that you can just buy red gushers. It's like, I didn't know that. <laughs> you know? You do crazy things, man. You just go out of your way to try to impress them. You go out of your way to, hey, does this make you happy? You know, you want to make them happy. And you're married for 10 years, and you're like, ah, I really don't care. You know? <laughs> no. Man, how do you know you love somebody? You go out of the way to just do sweet things just to make them smile. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. He'll flee from you. Draw nigh to God. He'll draw nigh to you. You know what you find out? That when you make the first step, He likes to meet you where you are. That's how the Lord likes to work. And He has never left anybody hanging. You see what I'm saying? I remember I, I was, when I... My second year of Bible college, I, I, was, I had the uh, opportunity to stay in a little trailer there on campus at the church. And I was able to work with Brother Johnson, a custodian. And I, part of my job was to vacuum the church. And part of my job was to mow the grass at the church. And be, I was a custodian at, at Bible Baptist. And uh, I remember I was in that old little, they called it, Brother Dickman used to live there. You ever seen those old Dickman signs? They're those scripture signs. Brother Dickman made those. And so they're all over the place. They sell them through the bookstore. And so I stayed in Brother Dickman's old trailer, this little one-bedroom trailer on, the, on the, the, the back side of the church there, filled with cockroaches. I mean, just very, very small trailer, like seven-foot ceilings. I mean, it felt like you were living in a tin can. You know what I'm saying? That was a blessing of a trailer for me, you know? Because I remember I didn't know anything, and I would read these verses, and I'm like, I don't know what in the world is going on here. And I remember... There's this one little chair in that little living room, and I'd get down on my knees, and I'd say, God, this is me trying to draw, draw nigh to you. I don't know how to draw nigh to you, but this is me trying to draw nigh to you. Will you help me? I don't know what to do. In my mind, it was all wrapped up in stuff. You know what I found out? That right there was what God was looking for. You know? I didn't know how to put it into words. I didn't know how to articulate it. I was confused, but I just, I just honest. I said, Lord, if there was something you could show me that would mean I would be closer, I would draw closer to you, then I would do that thing. But I don't know what that thing is. So I'm just, I'm asking. This is, you said if I draw nigh to you, then you draw nigh to me. And this is the best, I don't know, how, can, I can't jump to heaven. I can't build a ladder to get to you. What, this, what is it? It was that submission, it was that love, and it was that communication, and it was that my desire to want to be with Him. It hasn't always been that way in my life. There's been times it's ebbed and flowed. But I've known that even when I draw away from Him, I know how to draw back to Him. And it's never going backwards like, the, like Paul was talking about these folks here in Galatians. 
Now they say, why would you want to go back to the beggarly elements? Why would you want to go back to... Certain? There's been times in my Christian life where I have, I have rested on my ministries to compensate for a very weak relationship and fellowship with the Lord. And I thought that because I was doing this and I was preaching and I was doing these kinds of things, then guess what? I could skate by. Because after all, look at all that I'm doing. You see that? And there's been times the Lord says, you know you ain't right with me. And I'm in the pulpit preaching. Or I'm teaching. Or I'm witnessing to somebody, trying to lead somebody to Christ. There's been, I, listen, I've led people to the Lord before and just be as miserable as you could possibly be. You want to know why? I led somebody to the Lord and I was out of fellowship with God. But I was trying to do God's service. Wasn't any closer to Him. I was just as far away from Him as I was when I started. You see that? You cannot compensate for a lack of fellowship by doing more works. He's telling you that here in verse number 9. Why would you go back to the bondage? So we'll wrap it up there right now. We can go a little further if you want to. I know I went 10 minutes over an hour, but we didn't start till 5 after, so I'm really only 5 minutes over, so not that bad. Any questions? Any questions? A lot of practical stuff in there. Um, uh,